0: And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Are you waiting on something right now? Like for the Lord to answer a prayer? Mm, You know, you're probably fairly good company. I was thinking of Noah. He waited for God's timing before he could leave the ark. Imagine how cooped up it was on that thing. Moses uh, waited on God on the mountain. That took a while. Job waited for God's answers. And I think he was pretty miserable waiting for answers. Isaiah waited for God to work in Israel, and Jeremiah understood the need to wait quietly for God's salvation. And Micah waited for the God of his salvation. There's a lot of people in the Bible that waited and waited, and they were doing it because we're humans, and this is the time frame in which we operate. We want God to operate on a reasonable amount of time in in our little world, but God operates on his time. So I just want to encourage you today, if you're waiting, okay, and waiting can be so terribly painful, but uh, God has your situation, he understands it, and he will answer in his perfect timing. All right, speaking of waiting, I think my friend Patrick Albanese is waiting, so let's uh, take a short break and bring him on.
1: Faith Radio is so much more than just radio. We are a multimedia ministry encouraging people to connect faith to life every day through a variety of platforms. Now, you may have been driving, captivated by a Faith Radio interview, but not able to listen to it all because you had an appointment. Or maybe you had an extra busy day and you missed your favorite show. Well, thankfully, you can go back and listen to any of our programs in their entirety at MyFaithRadio.com by clicking on podcasts. You can also download the free Faith Radio app to listen to any past programs or check out the live stream. Just search for Faith Radio in iTunes or Google Play. And for Alexa and Amazon Echo devices, just say Enable Faith Radio. Then say play Faith Radio to listen to the live stream. Use your connected device to stay encouraged and equipped every day through Faith Radio.
2: What would you do with a brain if you had one?
1: Do?
0: Why, if I had a brain, I could. I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. <laughs> And my head. i while my thoughts were busy if I only had a brain. Welcome to the start of of course Thanksgiving week and we are off and running. It is Monday and I'm always glad on Monday I get a chance to talk to my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines, Patrick
3: Albanese. He's joining our show via Skype. Hello, Patrick. Hello, just uh, you know, getting ready for for the holiday myself as well. A, a short week for us all. I, I just finished changing the uh, password for Thanksgiving on my Wi-Fi. To uh, you know, if you want to use my Wi-Fi, put the phone down and go talk to grandma.
0: <laughs> That's the password.
3: That's the password. So I when love people it. come, up, they're like, "Hey, uh, what's your uh, Wi-Fi password?" You go here. It is. Just put the phone down and go talk to grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now when
0: you get your family together and and. Everyone who shows up for the meal uh do you talk uh faith politics, family, a little of everything what 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 road do you usually go down?
3: We break off into rooms okay. <laughs> I think that's the best <laughs> there's the
0: po- the politics room and the faith room, and they don't go together very often, huh
3: you know, when uh, when my father-in-law was alive, there, there were maybe there would be more political discussions. Although, you know, the family, as everybody uh, gets older, has some kids, you know, people start crossing the great divide, <laughs> changing things, they get their first paycheck and they say, "Whoa, what is that number? Oh, that's your <laughs> deduction. No, oh, that's what they took out. Yes. Um, but we, we don't do a ton of politics. Uh, it's It's always friendly. Now, your family, I think similar to mine, growing up in, in my household, it was a complete no-no. Oh, no, we never actually, talked about it. We just I, I laughed and
0: had fun and yeah. praised God and we just had a great time.
3: Still do. Yeah. Still here, do. Nothing's very changed. Little, yeah, same yeah. here. Very little talking over food, though. It was like, okay, time to eat. Everybody. Oh, yeah. It went. It goes definitely silent when the food gets served. Well, you know, and I'm one of eight kids and I had uh, older brothers that uh, ate a lot of food and were very fast eaters. And so if you. Talking means missing seconds. Yeah, it's, it's
0: it's survival of the
3: fittest, isn't it? It is. We didn't always do have many things. Like, we never had many leftovers in the house. So, uh, you know, at the meal, you're going, this is my last chance to get at that. Mm-hmm. First and last chance. And, the you know, the less talking I do and the faster I chew, <laughs> <laughs> the more likely I am to get more. Mm-hmm. So, um, now, it hey, was... Competition, yeah.
0: Have you blended your uh, family and your wife's family's traditions together? or What tradition wins out in the Albanese household?
3: Uh, hers kind of do since, you know, we're mostly surrounded by her family, although our traditions were not very far apart. Uh, I think they do a lot of the, um, uh, like, like Christmas, for instance, uh, they do almost all the gift opening from family, on Christmas Eve, and in my my house, we just did one. You open, like usually it was grandma's gift, you know. And you would say, "All right, let's open the sweaters. Let's get them open. <laughs> Wear them to church tomorrow." <laughs> hmm Socks <laughs> yeah. and, and sweaters, then,
0: and then the next day was the fun and, the fun present day.
3: I know, but isn't it funny? You do get to a point in life of going, "All right, a sweater." Because you hate buying buying clothes so much that uh, like my sister just contacted me. She says, "You know." Um, what do the kids want? I said they want clothes. They just want clothes. Here are their sizes. Just send clothes. Hey, <laughs> my, my sister has impeccable taste. B, I I do not like going out for any type of cloth purchases for anybody, mm-hmm. myself included.
0: Yeah, well, win win. So,
3: yeah, it's a win win. It's send clothes. They'll be yeah. happy.
0: Yeah. And what time do you eat your Thanksgiving meal? I'm always curious to find out when people do it.
3: Now that that is a tradition that uh, does vary from my wife's family uh, to my family. And in my family, when my mom set a time for food, mm-hmm. when she said eating at four, it, I mean, that buzzer would go off four o'clock. It's like, sit down, mm-hmm. let's go. Because you know, the food was ready. It, it, the food was ready. It was, and, and her timing was impeccable. Um, so if like, we're supposed to go visit my, my, we're going to have it at my wife's sister's house and they live about 75 miles away. And, uh, so I said, Well, what time are we going? What time's dinner? She says, I think we're eating at two. I said, Okay, so uh, 75 miles. All right, so we'll leave here noonish. She's like, Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Nine? It's way go, too early. Hey. I said, I've, I've, I'm missing a three hour window. What? <laughs> what's? I don't have to talk to them this whole time, do I? <laughs> what's going on? Right. She's, well, it could be any time from noon to two. Okay. So uh, they're very, I don't want to even call it haphazard. I think they just don't know. I think okay. they they make plans. You know, there are there are times, uh, I, like I've gone, I went to, to pick up my mother-in-law to drive her to the airport. She said, if you could be here, it's an early morning thing. If you could just be here at 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 4 a.m. It's like, all right, I'll be there at 4 a.m. And at 4 a.m. i in the driveway and she starts sending me text messages in the driveway, just a couple more minutes. And eventually I just, I went and I got gas and I got a cup of coffee, came back at 4 30. And she starts rolling out. She goes, all right, was, uh, sorry for the delay. <laughs> Now, if that were, you know, my, like my family, if I showed up at 401, they'd say, where were you? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That's a, my family's just very crazy that way. And I'm just like, I'm like that too,
0: you know? Yeah. So what is the acceptable amount of time you can be late before you have to say, sorry, I'm late. I know it varies from culture to culture, of course, but I think in the U.S., I would say is it 15 to 20 minutes before you have to
3: apologize. Okay. I'll bet you're like me in this regard. You call before you're late to oh, yeah. warn them that you're oh, going yeah. to be late. And then you end up showing on time and they said, I thought you were going to be late. And you said, I was wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I would just, rather apologize yeah. ahead of time than be considered rude. Yeah. So, yeah isn't, that, uh, isn't that just so uh, ridiculous?
0: Well, I think yeah. like in, in Latin America, I think you can be – you know, 45, an hour late before you have to apologize. And on the island of Yap, you can be three to four hours late before you have to apologize.
3: The island of Yap? Yeah. I'm not.
0: <laughs> that gives listeners something to Google when yeah, we go to I'm break.
3: going to Google that right now. <laughs> there better be a Yap, by the way. Oh, there is. Not.
0: There is. Don't think I'm oh. making this stuff up because I never make stuff up. All right. Now, being in uh, Iowa... Which means you must be getting uh, bombarded with political ads.
3: Oh, it's ridiculous! It's 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 and it really the nonstop portion of it hasn't even started yet, and oh, you have I know. so many of these people running, and and it's amazing because I go, what a couple more just entered. Uh, I think it was Deval Patrick was thinking of entering, but he had he held his first event, and two people showed up, so that's not a good sign. Um, but uh, yeah, the Bloomberg ads have already started Pete booty judge booty judge booty judge, mm-hmm, ah oh, can we just change his name uh he's all over the airwaves out here and and, and uh,
0: he's got some momentum in, in Iowa doesn't he?
3: He does. I, I think he's following a lot of the, you know, the Barack Obama in 2008, you know, he wasn't supposed to win anything. It was supposed to be Hillary's deal. And uh, Barack Obama said, well, you know, Iowa's was up first. Let me just focus on Iowa and spend some time in Iowa and get to know the Iowa people. And and that plan worked. And I think uh, Mayor Pete, because that's easier to say, is probably following a, a similar plan. Although it's like, it's amazing. You know, he's, he's a very young guy. And I have absolutely no idea of his accomplishments other than I I guess he's a Rhodes Scholar and and that's supposed to be pretty darn good, I guess, right? Makes you smart, right? Mm -hmm. And and he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which is – Uh, You know, I grew up in the Chicago area. South Bend was very often the punchline of jokes, and I believe it still is. So I I don't know if that's exactly a a resume enhancer. Mm -hmm. He'll have these commercials on here in Iowa, and it's talking to Iowa people, of course, because you have to appeal to the Iowa people. And they're saying things like, oh, you know, he's just, you know, he, you know, he does what he says. I'm thinking, how do you know? You, you, never, you never heard of this guy until a couple of months ago. You live in Iowa. He's in Indiana. I have no, I don't, does he, does he get things done? Does he do what he says he's going to do? I have absolutely no idea. That's the power of advertising, you know. Mm-hmm. Commercials are, they got all that feel good music, right?
0: Yeah. Patrick, let me take a little break. When I come back, I want to chat about uh, rumors and how things get started and how important it is to be debunking them early because if you don't, uh, the longer they go unchallenged, the harder they become to dislodge, especially in the minds of people that don't do any further investigating. So let's talk about that when we come back. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We'll take a short break and we will be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to get a chance to chat with my friend Patrick Albanese who's coming from the great state of Iowa. Right now the, the state of Iowa has got a lot of political commercials happening and as we talk about uh, news and fake news and all the different news stories that come out many of which are not verified. They're a reaction mm-hmm. to someone's tweet and yes. then a story gets created as a result of that and false information. It gets harder to dislodge The longer
3: it goes unchallenged. Oh, I love it when it's a tweet, when it's a story reacting to a tweet that's reacting to a story that was reacting to a tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody tweeted, somebody wrote a story about the tweet, and then somebody tweeted about that story about the tweet, and then somebody tweeted about that, and then they said, we better do a story on that. And that's journalism, isn't it? Oh, it's so crazy. And then, yeah, you know, so Michael Bloomberg's in the race now, and he he came out the other day and said, You know what, my, uh, the guy who owns a media empire, right? He's right. a media model. And he says, uh, You know, I, I think it's kind of funny where, where these people say we really don't like it when Trump calls us fake news. By the way, Bloomberg News will not be doing any investigative reporting on any of the Democrats running for the presidency. We'll just be investigating Trump. Anyway, how dare him call us fake news?
0: <laughs> but that's apparently just during the primaries. Yeah. That's oh. not after the candidate gets announced.
3: I you know who knows how I, in my little weird sense of how things are working it, it makes me wonder if Michael Bloomberg isn't saying look I'll do let's do each other a favor I won't investigate you right. if you don't investigate me let's just play nicely but I don't know how they're going to start sorting through who's the best candidate then mm-hmm. well yeah
0: when you hear yeah. a story and you don't know if it's true or not I mean do you are you good at confronting people and saying Uh, help me to understand what you just said and where your source came from. Um, Or, you know, I think it's important to have a counter narrative to whatever is being said so you can bring truth to a conversation. But I don't know, when you get told something,
3: how do you respond? I I often, you know, maybe I I do want to grant the possibility that maybe they do know something that I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I, I usually like to start with, I have not heard that, so uh, tell me a little bit more about it. Like, where did you hear that? You know, I don't want to challenge their news sources because I, I think you know it's, it's the way people do the thing. They go, "Oh, you got that from Fox News." Well, I'm just discounting it, or you get it from CNN because they're fake news. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I would like to know where they heard it. You know, I'll look on Facebook, and you know, people will have these amazing stories of you're not going to believe what this person did, and and I'll look at the source, the click on the article. I go, I. I don't know who this person is. It says Pete's dot <laughs> <laughs> net. You know, he couldn't even get dot com, you know. So uh I I am skeptical and I I because as you know, I like to wait forty-eight hours before a story kind of gets fleshed out anyway. We we just it's this instantaneous you know, needing to fill that news cycle. I think I was driving to the gym this morning, and I didn't even know what the stories were. But they're like, "Oh my gosh, this latest story," and it was something I could not care less about. Mm-hmm. And I thought they have to pump this up. This is all they have right now, going into a holiday weekend. So I, I do get skeptical, and but I, I like to grant that maybe somebody knows something. So I ask. I go, "I have not heard that. Where, where, where did you get that from? Is that is that really true? It's funny how the is that really true question." can be a real stunner because it makes somebody say, well, I personally, I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. My, my favorite line is, can I quote you on that?
3: Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah. Cause then they will go, oh no, no, no. I don't want you quoting me on that. I, I just, something I heard. And that usually kind of quiets them down ro- ro- real fast because unless they can be, ver- unless they can verify the source and be confident that it was said, they usually don't want to stand behind it personally.
3: Uh, my my uh, my grandfather uh was a chicago cop and he had this framed picture on the wall it was a headline from the uh, a section of the chicago tribune from i don't know when uh and he was really proud of it it says don't believe everything you read in the paper you know that was kind of the extent of it yeah. that was really not a not a great joke it's there's a, there's a <laughs> it doesn't land well but 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 my grandfather used to say that to me actually all the time don't believe everything you read in the paper and he would say this you know way back then uh and you know as a kid you go oh, why not and they knew then they didn't be, they they were skeptical and we've even lost our skepticism and sometimes i think the skepticism is because we want so many things to be true we you know uh back when they were investigating hillary's emails there were a bunch of people going oh they got her oh i believe every you tell me any story that says we got her this time and we got her and i'm going to believe it and i'm going to be satisfied it's like Make your life about a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. That's not a healthy way to go through your day. I don't think, but... um, Yeah,
0: well, I feel that the less I read various news sources, the happier I am. I stay pretty much in my lane of looking at God's Word and learning more about Him. And at the end of the day, I think I'm going to be way way better off. (laughs)
3: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, how much of this stuff, it's amazing how much turns out to not be true. And it should be a reminder to us, don't believe the rumor yet. Things are just in the rumor stage. And, you know, I don't recall as a kid seeing so many news stories with, we talked with a person close to somebody who was close to the person close to the situation. And they have an inside source that says that somebody next door to the person close to the person in the situation who's a – an employee of the undersecretary of the undersecretary (laughs) says – Oh, it's it's horrible. It is. It's just – and and after a while you go, uh, okay, I don't even know a person close to the investigation and uh, whatever. (laughs) Wake me up and let me know when you actually have somebody in the investigation, not somebody close to it. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. And has I think, the, I think a healthier attitude. And has
0: most of what they're running the, the impeachment hearing on based on something that was overheard on a cell phone? I love the experiment that uh, Chris Cuomo did on CNN the other day, calling his mom.
3: Uh, <laughs> now, here's what, I, I, yes, it was hysterical. And then he said, oh... You know, President Trump says that you can't hear somebody unless they're on speakerphone. Well, we're going to dispel that myth right now. I mean, he calls his mother and nobody can – she can't hear anybody. They can't hear her. And she's on speakerphone. St- and she's on speakerphone. He's Yeah, it, so it's not even pressed to the ear or anything else. No. So uh, he obviously ended up proving just the opposite, right. which of course makes me think, you didn't test run this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You always run you always test run a potential embarrassing moment that comes from our years of being magicians where it's like you didn't practice that trick <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> You're go put that in front of an audience with I, no practice. okay. I practiced it in my head does that count <laughs> i was really good <laughs> nailed it of course uh-huh no taught me yeah so uh, yeah that was that was that was pretty darn funny that was pretty darn funny
0: well patrick it's uh uh I wish you and your family a great Thanksgiving, and I thank you for, I'm grateful this time of the year, I'm always grateful, but I'm grateful that you you and I have enjoyed a friendship for so long, and that you are continued to be a a guest that comes on the show, and I know a lot of listeners just really look forward to our segment, because it starts the week off a little on the light side, which is not a
3: bad way to go through life, Yeah, a little bit on the light side. Yeah, a little bit, and as always, alphabetically, I am your top guest.
0: Of course, I start in the Rolodexes and go... Who's in the A's, and it's always Patrick uh, 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 Albany. Uh, <laughs> because <Al-Albany. laughs> in the phone book, you add three more A's to it.
3: Yeah, that's it. I wanted to be ahead of AAA towing. Right, so. and you
0: succeeded, so way to go. I, succeeded.
3: Yep. I will tow you if you need it, by the way. Yeah, well, thank you, by the way. I can
0: always yeah. count on you for many things. Anyway, have a great uh, Thanksgiving, and I will uh, catch up with you next week. All right, thanks. You right. too. Have a- Patrick Albanese has been my guest, and, of course, he is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll take a little break and we will be right back.
1: Thank you for listening to Faith Radio, where you can find relevant Bible preaching and family-focused teaching to help you grow in your faith. Our mission is to lead people to Christ and nurture believers in their faith through Christ-centered media. Find out more about your favorite programs and features and find helpful articles on relevant topics such as marriage and family, finances, health and wellness, and spiritual growth, all at MyFaithRadio.com.
0: Thanks to Patrick, and also coming up, Clay is going to speak to us next. He's a pastor, also has a website called reasonabletheology.org. Enjoy him. Uh, he's going to talk about three ways to recognize a false teacher. And then, uh, coming up in the next hour, the live event we did last week with uh, Jeff Verdorn on the 21st. We had a sellout crowd, and it was a really a wonderful evening Uh, We're going to be airing that in its uh, entirety coming up in hour two. And I know there's a lot of people that have asked when that hour is going to air, especially Jeff's mom. So uh, we'll take a little break and we'll be uh, right back with Clay Cravey. I hope you are having a good Monday. For many, it's going to be a shorter week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. So that will be good, especially if you are in the need of a break, like many people are this time of the year. It's been, fall seems to be a very busy time of the year. And now after fall or after uh, Thanksgiving, things kind of gear up for the holidays and that's busy as well. So I hope you're finding a chance to get some rest this week. Um... Clay Cravey is my guest on our studio line right now. He's a pastor in North Dakota, and he created a website called Reasonabletheology.org. He just wants to make theology as accessible as he can for the everyday Christian. I have a feeling that's a lot of us, including this host. So, uh, Clay, welcome back to the show.
2: Hey, appreciate you having me. Always fun to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much. We're going to talk today about false teachers. You know, they are they've been around since the beginning of time, haven't they?
2: Yeah, not not a new problem by any means. You see it, you know, as early as Deuteronomy 13, the Old Testament, already talking about false teachers that are going to come in the midst of everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. I've always wondered what the motivation is for false teachers, unless it's always Satan at the uh, core of it all.
2: Well, I think certainly uh, Satan is at the core of it all, but, you know, he, he uses people and their motivations and, and their desires. So, I mean, there could be a number of things... Uh, a desire for power, notoriety, fame, money—certainly is one that comes up a lot. So, lots of, lots of our, our sinful passions and desires get kind of used, and and Satan will bait his hook to the taste of the fish by any means.
0: Yeah, no question. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the the ways that uh, we can better recognize a false teacher.
2: Sure, absolutely. And if if you're thinking, you know, where in Scripture can I kind of get a sense or some of the ways to distinguish false teachers from true teachers? Uh, you really can't go wrong with the book of Second Peter. Uh, it really handles this subject probably more focusedly than, than other passages of Scripture do, though it's, like I said, it's already as early as Deuteronomy. It's throughout throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. But Second Peter especially gives us, you know, three very effective ways of recognizing who false teachers are, because like it says, they're going to slip in among the sheep. They're going to claim to teach true doctrine, and yet, as Christ warned, false prophets come in there They're in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves, and that's what we have to be aware of.
0: All right, so let's uh, maybe work out of the, the text from 2 Peter and maybe find out what exactly we can learn from that, that text.
2: Yeah, there's, like I mentioned, and as you mentioned, as we began here, there's really three main distinguishing characteristics that we see uh, in Second Peter, at least. There's certainly others throughout the rest of Scripture, and we can talk about those. But the first one we see is that of greed. You see that when it talks about these false teachers having hearts trained in greed, or they have a love of gain from wrongdoing. You see that in verses 14 and 15 of Second Peter chapter 2, and that really touched on your first question. What motivates them to spread false doctrine, false teaching? And, and what we see so often, especially with today's you know, brand of false teachers, is you see people flying their private jets around, wearing expensive clothes. They are, they're led by greed and a desire for material wealth. And not only do they desire it for themselves, really the way they become popular so quickly is that they often promise it to those who are listening to them.
0: Which, of course, is very attractive, and there are there, there will be times when pastors, despite their lifestyle, will declare biblical truth, right?
2: As far as, you know, just your everyday pastors or false teachers that are actually proclaiming something that's true? Well,
0: I, I would guess to say there's going to be uh, teachers that might be deceived because they're Believing that they're, they should maintain this lifestyle, which to the average person seems completely outrageous, but they will, on occasion, proclaim the gospel, and people will come to faith as a result. Is that a fair and, well, fair assessment?
2: I, I think that you you can say in circumstances that that someone may be um, may be themselves deceived, and and so whenever we're talking with someone who's in error. Part of what we try to discern is, am I discussing this? Am I interacting with someone who knows it's error and is intentionally spreading that? Or are they deceived? That's a great point. In either case, you might have people in in the false teaching realm, whether they're self-deceived or intentionally deceiving. uh, The reason false teachers are so dangerous is because they try and look like sheep. So certainly they're going to espouse doctrines, they're going to say things often that are true. And I think the the slipperier they are, the more difficult it is to discern, oh, is this person saying things that line up with the Bible, but this certainly doesn't sound like it's in the Bible? I think that makes them all the more dangerous, because it's difficult to draw that line between truth and error. And sadly, many times uh, it, it is people that are either reckless, um, or they know what they're teaching is not true, but they're doing it for their own personal gain.
0: Mm-hmm. Do some of these false teachers have a tendency, Clay, of staying in a certain lane using certain portions of Scripture over and over and over?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's many different kind of flavors of false teaching, if you will, but the, the thing that seems to really be um, kind of a, a cancer in the Church right now, is this idea of the prosperity gospel, where people promise health, wealth, prosperity, and they're talking about material possessions. And that seems to be what's really taking hold, not only in America, but especially especially in third-world countries where this teaching comes in, and they latch on to any verse they find. They really cherry-pick and take out a context. Mm-hmm. Any verse that makes it sound as though you are guaranteed blessing. Uh, if if you love God and he loves you, you will have material wealth and prosperity. And they focus only on those verses. They ignore any verse uh, that says otherwise. And certainly we see in, in Christ's own words uh, the model he had. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had no possessions. He promised difficulty as a result of following him. But that's something that you're not going to hear spoken of in a typical false or prosperity gospel church.
3: Yeah,
0: like you have said in your article, they have um, sort of an unwillingness to downplay the hard truths.
2: Absolutely, and you'll notice that. So when you start seeing someone kind of rise in popularity, that in itself is not a red flag by any means, Uh, though you should start having your eyebrows raise a bit. If you see someone who gets uh, very they seem to kind of weasel around hard questions, hard doctrines, hard truths, and they don't want to make anything uh, really concrete with their answers as to what 's true, what's false, and when people are willing to downplay hard truths or they're reluctant to uphold unpopular truths in order to maintain their platform, their position their uh, their really their their money, their wealth getting ability we see that that's probably a good sign that there's something else going on.
0: I just enjoy you use the word weasel.
2: Yeah, well, anytime you can weasel in the word weasel, I'd say you go for it.
0: Uh, I couldn't agree more, Clay, and uh, so that's good. All right, let's talk about uh, the next one on the list, which would be sensuality.
2: Yeah, so we've spoken about greed. The next one that Second Peter lays out for us is this characteristic of sensuality and this these desires of the flesh. And when it uses this word, it's really um speaking about uh behavior that, that's lacking in moral restraint. Uh it usually has this implication of sexual immorality, this this sensuality of giving in to their passions. And it says that several times in Second Peter many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. It goes on to say that they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So not only are they enticed by their, their sensuality, their passions of the flesh, they also they they entice others. Um, and what that could look like is, one, their lifestyle, and you see that many times with people that have risen in the ranks and who are popular false teachers today, they often have very sordid past or or presents for that matter and not only that when they we talked about downplaying hard truths there's a real lack of willingness to speak on sin to speak on judgment, to speak on anything that would seem to try and box people in from fully uh, pursuing whatever desire they have, and so often that means they they give this Licensed to pursue their own sensual passions, and we see that in, you know, uh, adultery or or any number of ways.
0: Clay, sin and judgment don't get brought up very often, do they?
2: No, it's and I, I I think we often see that as a problem in today's Christianity, particularly in the West and in America. Mm -hmm. But I think at any time in the Christian faith, it's not a popular message to say that there, there is a God who loves you, and, and who has great things in store for you, you can, you can fill a room with that, and so many popular preachers, too. But sadly, when people start to speak of God's wrath, his judgment, hell, any of these realities of Scripture, which, by the way, is what makes the good news good news, if those things didn't exist, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't really impact my life. The fact that there is sin, that there is wrath for sin, that there is hell for those who are outside of Christ, make the good news good news. Well, in their attempt to only speak good news, they actually downplay the reasons that the good news matters. So they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about wrath. And, and while, yes, that, that can fill a room, uh, sadly it's not going to give people the truth as presented in Scripture.
0: Mm-hmm. And our sin was so bad that Jesus had to leave heaven to come to Earth to die for it, So I don't understand how it doesn't get talked about all the time.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the, the things that should start to tip us off if we've been reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching someone on YouTube. and over time, you start to see, you know they, they only kind of hit the high notes. they, they only hit the, the really um, things that sound really great. They emphasize the promises and they never speak of the pain, they never speak of the trials, they never speak of the hardships that will be the light in the life of any believer, we should start to kind of crinkle our nose up a little bit and start to wonder, are they leaving something out? Because when we read our Bibles, we see that from cover to cover. There are difficulties in this life, either caused by our own sin or the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And when they shy away from those things not only does it uh, really kind of open the door for pursuing whatever lifestyle you want, whatever sins you might want to indulge in, and you just have this promise of forgiveness in your back pocket, and it really cheapens the grace, but once you sit down and examine it, you really start to see that news is not as good as the good news of the gospel, the, the full counsel of Scripture that has, that includes both the good and the bad of, of what it means to live in this fallen world, that's the better news.
0: And Clay, false teachers may not be as willing to talk about the seriousness of disobedience.
2: No, and and that's kind of the two ditches that we're all kind of aware of when we're talking about living this Christian life. You have the one ditch, which is legalism, where we fall into, you know, trying to order other people's lives and say, That you can't love God and go to the movies. You can't, you know, eat or drink this. You can't do this or that and be a faithful Christian. And that's one ditch. But on the other side of the road is this licentiousness or, um, you know, lawlessness. Antinomianism is the theological term where people feel like they can live and do whatever they want. I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. And therefore, I'm free to sin in any way I want, and I know I can be forgiven. Well, anytime someone comes and approaches the Christian life with that heart attitude, it really reveals an ignorance as to what took place on the cross, that, that God the Son took on flesh and died a horrendous death in our place. To be able to see that and say, oh, it doesn't matter, I can just sin, uh, really exposes our hearts and shows that we don't understand, we don't have a love for he who first loved us. If we can look on that, and understand what he went through on the cross and not have a desire to sin less uh, really exposes where we are at. And we should beware of our own selves if that's where we land. And in those, if we're falling off the road in that direction, we need to start to examine ourselves, our hearts and Scripture, and see, am I really of the faith?
0: Yeah. We're talking to Clay Craby, Pastor Clay Craby. He's uh, written an article at his website, ReasonableTheology.org, on three ways to recognize a false teacher. So far, we've covered greed and sensuality. We're going to take a little break when we come back. We've got a third one yet still to discuss. We will be back in 90 seconds. talking about false teachers today with Pastor Clay Craby. His uh, website is reasonabletheology.org, and he has used uh, the word weasel and crinkle so far, so w- we're tracking today, Clay.
2: I've got a list of, of unusual words I'm trying to get through. <laughs> good. <laughs> to
0: get discussion. good, good. So anyway, let's talk about the third one, denying God's judgment. That's another sign of a false teacher.
2: Absolutely, and is this not the very first false teaching? You shall not surely die. Right. And that's what the serpent tells Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, and there's this denial that that God will judge sin. Uh, and we see that in 2 Peter as well as we've been using to walk through these distinguishing marks or these characteristics of false teachers, and in that the people that Peter was speaking of were particularly doubting and casting skepticism. He calls them scoffers. They were scoffing at the idea that Christ would return. And they're not only scoffing at Christ's return, they're also rejecting the judgment that he's going to bring with Him when he returns. And the logic at play here is, if Christ isn't going to be coming back, what should hinder us from indulging in our greed, in our sensuality, in all these other things? And so they deny God's judgment to free themselves up and to teach things that are really going to appeal to, to those that are living in a fallen world.
0: Now you've got an, a, a great quote from the, the late Warren Wearsby. Would you share that with our listeners?
2: Oh, yeah. And, and really, just to throw this out there, if you can pick up uh, a commentary set and you don't know what to grab, you can't go wrong. Warren Wearsby, really good stuff. But he said of, of these scoffers, he says, Why do these apostates scoff? Because they want to continue living in their sins. If your lifestyle contradicts the Word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the Word of God. The apostates choose the latter approach, so they scoff at the doctrines of judgment and the coming of the Lord. And how true is that we see in our own day, where people find things that are no longer convenient, either to them or culturally, and there's these attempts to change the Word of God, either in conversations when you hear people say, well to me this means, or my God wouldn't do this or that. That comes out a lot of times where people are trying to change the Word of God because the alternative is I have to change my lifestyle. And lest the Holy Spirit is in us doing that, we're not willing to change our lifestyle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Clay, are, are seekers or new believers, are they more subject to misunderstanding? You know, when Jesus talked about that... That we would know false teachers by their fruit, and you look at some of these false teachers that have extravagant lifestyles, might a seeker say, well, that's a, that's a lot of fruit in this guy's life?
2: Oh, absolutely, because if you think of just kind of the, the cultural Christianity, if we can use that term, people, hey, I was born in America, I must be Christian, mm-hmm. they really kind of, through osmosis, get this message that to be a faithful follower of Christ means to be blessed. Or to be a good person means you'll have a good life. And so that's already sort of the assumption that's out there. So if someone is new to the faith or is a seeker, as you mentioned, that's curious about Christianity, when they see someone that, is, that seems to have a great smile and they wear nice suits and they've got three million Instagram followers and they're, they're flying on these planes and meeting with these celebrities, that's attractive, that's attractive to lots of people, but especially susceptible to that, I think, are new or non-believers that are, that are sincere in their pursuit of wondering what this Christianity thing is all about. And, of course, that's the danger. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see in these churches. Uh, I would be shocked if you went into some of these, these huge churches that these false teachers have and find someone who's been there for eight, ten years. They're, these are churning through new believers that that God willing kind of wise up and, and see that they're, they're not being fed uh, meat. Oftentimes they're not even really being fed milk, and, and they move on to to better places for them to grow in their faith. But absolutely, they're under uh, great danger mm-hmm. of but, being drawn into these people.
0: Yeah. Clay, do you have a thought on the difference between a person who is a false teacher and and maybe the person who m- might spread False teaching, maybe unwittingly. Um, is there a difference in God's view? You know, someone that spreads yeah. a wrong interpretation of a verse, uh, but they believe it's true. Um, they just didn't handle sure. the word of God correctly.
2: I think that's, that is an important distinction to make. So when we're having this discussion, we're not talking about those who, in some ways, unwittingly uh, teach error. Because we have to recognize that all of us, if that's what we're talking about, we're all false teachers because none of us are 100% accurate in our understanding of Scripture, our understanding of how that applies to our lives, we're all going to have errors in our understanding, in our teaching, in our doctrine. When we're talking about false teachers, we're talking about those who are taking a core tenet of the faith, say, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the, the way of salvation, what the gospel is. They're taking that and teaching something opposite. Most of the time when we're talking false teachers, we're talking about those who at least ought to know better mm-hmm. or probably do know better. But, for example, if you're having a discussion with your, your friend over the dinner table and you're talking about eschatology, you're talking about who wrote the book of Hebrews, you're talking about these questions, these intramural debates within the faith, and you have different positions, that doesn't mean one of you on one side of the table is a false teacher and the other isn't. Uh, we're talking more so those who... Uh, are leading people astray from core teachings of the Christian faith, and more often than not, we're talking about categories of doctrine which will, uh, will lead someone to hell if they deny these things. So again, mm-hmm. those, those pillars of the faith that you might come across in the Apostles' Creed or a confession of faith, things that have been distilled over time by, by churches, theologians, councils, things like that, that says this is what it means to be a Christian and they're out there teaching the opposite and yeah. making it sound Christian.
0: Yeah, uh, that was a great answer, Clay, and you've thought through that well. I appreciate that. We've got about three minutes left. Do you uh, feel like you have time to share a little bit of George Washington, his Thanksgiving proclamation with us this week?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's something that is on the site as well. And and as we come into Thanksgiving being on Thursday. We always think pilgrims, we think, you know, hats with buckles on them and things like that. Cornucopia, there's another word on my list. Whoa. We think of these things and we assume that that was kind of a national holiday right from the very start, but it didn't become a national holiday uh, until George Washington declared the first one in 1789 and and you can look that up and find it in a variety of places, but it's just interesting and I think your listeners would appreciate just some of the language that that the first president George Washington used in this address where he talks about he's issuing a Thanksgiving proclamation calling the nation to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God so that we would obey his will, we'd be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore his protection and favor. So this is the mindset uh, that that Thanksgiving did and and ought to carry for us uh, today as well. He goes on talking about um, that we the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all good that was that is or that will be just beautiful language in this this thanksgiving proclamation from 1789 in in Washington's own words as to what thanksgiving ought to be about
0: it's it's beautiful and it's probably something we should all read around the thanksgiving table it's it's so uh well um Expressed and to come from our president is refreshing, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely! I think that that'd be a wonderful tradition. Is just to to kind of get in the mindset of one the historical roots of of Thanksgiving, and really to to render to God our sincere and humble gratitude as Washington did, you know, call us to do in in this proclamation. Of course. We don't need a, a political or a governmental proclamation to do that. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Or in scripture rather. But even so, it's, it's a great aspect of what this holiday came to be and what it means to really to go to God with a thankful heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you going to be staying in town this Thanksgiving, or do you travel?
2: I will be traveling just a short ways over to uh, my folks' place, and so we'll be spending time with family. I might have to print one of these off and bring it with me.
0: I think that's a, a wise thing to do. So, uh, Clay, it's always uh, nice to chat with you. And let me just uh, let our listeners know again, the place uh, to go to uh, learn more about Clay and this ministry called Reasonable Theology is that very word, reasonabletheology.org. And I can see you've got some uh, podcasts up there too. Nice job on that. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to Striving Towards a Humble Calvinism. And I also see you had a chance to, to chat with Jay Warner Wallace, one of my favorites.
2: Yeah, a great conversation, so I encourage people to check that out, reasonabletheology.org slash podcast. I
0: mean, not as good a conversation as when I talk to him, but, you know, it's it's pretty good, right?
2: Close. A solid B-. minus.
0: Solid B-. minus. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate your uh, your humility. Have a great uh, Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you again soon.
2: Thanks a lot. Have a great day. You
0: bet. Again, Clay Craby is my guest, and his web address is reasonabletheology.org. It's a uh, great little website. You can go there and kick around and read all the articles. They're nicely laid out and easy to navigate your way around. So coming up in the next hour, we're going to have uh, the, the the time we spent with Jeff Dorn last Thursday night. We did a live event with a live audience and everyone who came. So great to meet everybody. Thank you for coming and thank you for uh, just being so enthusiastic. I have to say that the guests that came are smart Bible students and they asked great questions and they knew the answers and was really, really fun. So we'll we'll air the time we spent with Jeff. It was in the the first floor media room here at the studio. It might sound a little different from when I'm in this studio, but it's going to be a great hour. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.